0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ryan Painter podcast. On today's podcast, we interview Rabbi Meyer Kaplan, Rabbi Lynn Grannell, and Public Counselor Ian Ward, who all attended a rally for the Jewish community here in Victoria. And we also speak with Sarah Chamanara. Sarah is the founder of the feminist and political brand, Madam Premier, and the founder and host of the Elected Podcast. And Sarah and I talk all about feminism, anti-Semitism, political alignment, and her Madam Premier clothing line. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Ryan Painter Podcast. It is family day here in British Columbia. I am Coming to you a little, uh, recording this a a, a day later, um, because as you'll hear a little bit later on, um, yesterday I was organizing, co-organizing and executing a rally from uh, the, put on by the Christian community um, for the Jewish community. And specifically in support of the Jewish community and in support of Israel here in Victoria. It was an excellent event. We had 300 people turn out that was at least the count that I got um, at what I thought was the peak of the event. It was exceptionally well attended and folks were really excited, not just to have it there, but were really encouraging us to have a follow-up event. And I think we will definitely do that. I think we will absolutely have follow-up events. So it was really, really exciting to do that. And uh, later on in the podcast here, we'll have uh, interviews uh, that I had on the ground from the rally from Rabbi Meyer Kaplan, Rabbi Lynn Grenell, and Colwood Councillor Ian Ward, who attended and gave some thoughts about why um, he was at the event. Uh, so it was great. It was an excellent event to see. There were um, some, however, uh, um, I'm never really sure what to call these folks, but there were folks. Wait, we'll say they're waving Palestinian flags. They're also um uh wearing lots of um those scarfs um that that they tend to wear i think they're called um, kefeyes i think i'm probably pronouncing that wrong and um they were i think they were maybe about 30 ish 30 or 40. so i mean you know uh 10 times the number of people we had to them which (laughs) really does speak to what i believe is the silent majority of folks who are in support of israel and the jewish community but I think what we did is we gave them an opportunity to come out and show their support. And it's why these events are so important because when we see what we see, especially with the rise in anti-Semitism, the rise of Jew hate, and the occupation of our public space uh, by a group uh, who is, some of them are probably very well-meaning and they probably think they're doing what's right, but they don't understand What they've been co-opted by. And they also don't understand the violence that they're supporting, the hatred that they're supporting, the desire for annihilation of the Jewish people that they're supporting. I think they also don't understand that while at least for them initially the cause is Israel, it it absolutely isn't, the cause is Jews, but what starts with the Jews never ends with the Jews. Um, They will come for the Christians next. They will come for lgbt community next that's exactly how these things happen and so i think that's also why our city was so important because it was the christian community opening its arms and enveloping the jewish community with all kinds of love support appreciation um and a sense of that that deep community that family so it's it's uh it's it's fortuitous that i'm recording this on family day because yesterday really did feel like a family event there were kids there um, there, there was old and young people with disabilities um uh folks uh singing in hebrew um it, uh, there was great music there a, a violinist and a guitarist the violinist was just um her oh my gosh i, I wish i should i could, should have recorded some of what she played it it was just beautiful um the spirit that was there it it when you left you felt buoyed um you felt you felt full of purpose and it was exciting in fact i had a very lovely elderly jewish woman approach me after thanking me for um for putting on the event and she was so lovely she said to me you said there were 300 here this time, and I said yeah. And She said, "Well, let's do 500 next time," and I said, "Yes, let's do 500 next time." So I'm uh, I'm just thrilled that it turned out so well. And look, I, I'm uh, I, I don't know what the reception has been like. Um, Czech news was there; they they did a very small spot um, during their newscast. But I'm off Twitter, and this stuff tends to blow up right now on Twitter. But I I've And this could be a separate conversation or a separate discussion, but I've just decided to excise myself from Twitter or excise Twitter from my life. Now, I will go in to publish episodes of the podcast to let folks know what's going on, to check in on DMs, because there are still people who connect with me and chat with me on DM there. But I'll be redirecting them to my private email or my, my, uh, my cell. I just can't be on Twitter anymore. You know, and folks like Councillor Ian Ward, who he and I connected on Twitter, we've become very good friends. Um, and there are other folks who I connected with on tw- on Twitter, um, who I still stay in touch with. And so there is still good that can come from Twitter. And I don't, I, I'm not saying I'm going to be off of it forever, but I just, I feel like I need to be off of it for a while. Like, I don't think six months is too long of a time. I'm not going to try to predict this. I've had stints where I've tried to give myself a Twitter detox, actually a social media detox. I usually try to do that around the holiday season to give myself time to pull away from that social media onslaught of what really does seem to tend towards negativity and re-traumatization, if not outright traumatization. But pulling myself out of Twitter now specifically was because I saw myself becoming so intensely negative, so much more than I wanted to be. I saw myself distracted. I couldn't, I was having a really hard time focusing at work. Um, I did feel myself pulling away and becoming disconnected from my wife and my family. And, and that's not good. Um, I started going back to counseling a couple weeks ago, therapy, because I I realized that this was something that was happening. And for me, Counseling and therapy have always been places that I can go if I feel like I'm heading off into the weeds. Um, I start to, I, I go back to my counselor to my therapist, and I say, "Hey, uh, I think we need to check in." And so I've done that. Um, my actual therapist has been on vacation for this month, um, so she recommended me to a, a colleague who's who's been absolutely fantastic here, and um, it, it's been helpful. But I you know I I think I think the it, it helped me see what twitter was doing to me how it was changing me and it was changing how i responded to things and not only that it was making me so angry and i'm not an angry person anyone who knows me who spends time with me off of those spaces will know that i'm i'm quite a soft gentle um kind-hearted well-meaning person i'm not um i'm not i'm not brusque i'm not snide. I I can be a little catty, sure, but I think the best of us can be. Um, But Twitter um, turns me into someone I don't like. I really don't. Adam Sterling, who's a a local radio um, talk show host here, says Twitter makes us the worst versions of ourselves. Well, it absolutely makes me the worst version of myself. And I kind of figured, well, if I don't like who I am becoming or who I am when I'm on this platform, I just need to get off of it. And so that's what I've done. I put up a a post, um, the most recent post, and I'll have to pin it after I post this podcast. Just letting folks know that I'm off of it. Um, Folks who know how to get a hold of me can get a hold of me. And um, I've actually noticed a difference in the last two weeks. I've noticed I'm more calm. I'm not as reactive. (laughs) Isn't it silly that this this platform for engagement can turn us into such uh, uh reactive almost primitive people I don't know if that's the way it is for everybody maybe people who are more grounded and less reactive and maybe have less trauma from their youth and their childhood to manage aren't as reactive I mean I definitely struggle and suffer with the need to feel vindicated valued validated um liked and I think I'm also very easily hurt like very like very easily hurt. And I think a lot of this plays in kind of, there, there's a toxic masculine narrative behind all of this too, about, you know, being a man and being manly and being strong. And I think all of that kind of plays into a sense of, of a lack of, of belonging, certainly for me. And so when I get into engagements on Twitter and if I feel like I don't belong, or if I feel like I'm being, uh, kind of set aside, or if I'm being othered in, in different ways. Uh, or not being respected or appreciated or essentially being told, and look, this has happened to me before because I'm a straight white man that my opinion doesn't matter. Uh, it causes me to be reactive. It causes me to go in directions that I otherwise wouldn't go in. You know, I'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy who's always really believed in res- mutual respect and love and appreciation and kindness. And um, Twitter makes me the opposite of all of those things, and so I think pulling myself away from those has actually been really good. Look, my the last two and a half, two days, my wife and I have completely repainted um, the entrance way to our house, um, and the, the kind of first level stairway. We put up some wallpaper. We're planning to redo my office, like uh, completely repaint my office, which is really exciting. These are things that I don't know. I can't say I wouldn't. But I just don't know the level of which I would have been engaged in the process of doing all these things with her had I not been, um, or had I have been rather on, on Twitter and felt otherwise pulled into engagements on there. And I say pulled because I really do find that Twitter pulls you into a space, a negative space, a toxic vacuum of negativity it is it's a place where you don't see a lot of good news you don't see a lot of happiness and i always tried for a time to be someone who put that in that space to put a bit more happiness a bit more joy into that space but i found myself less able to do that um but the other thing though is is there's a push about this too and i've been thinking a lot about this in the last few weeks especially after i saw a clip of van jones on bill maher's um uh, real time talking about the progressive movement today and how it pushes people away from it it pushes people out of it and this was all in the context of a a very recent survey about uh young men and young women we're talking late teens 18 19 years old uh, diverging quite sharply men becoming more conservative and women becoming more liberal and i think actually the trend is men becoming significantly more conservative and women becoming slightly more liberal and I think a lot of this i mean there's the obvious stuff about andrew tate and all of the kind of toxic nature of of those things and and and, you know people will might even say jordan peterson um i don't i don't have as negative a perception of jordan peterson it's not to say i i agree with everything he says and I, i certainly don't but i don't find i find Jordan Peterson to be much more philosophically thoughtful in how he discusses concepts and ideas. And again, not on everything, <laughs> but certainly on some things. But I think to Van Jones' perspective, the progressive community has is really pushed people away from it, um, determined that there are certain groups who just don't belong. And look, I I'm not just making this up, I've heard this directly, that because I am a a straight white man, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, straight, um, I, uh, I I, have less of a standing in the progressive community. My opinion doesn't matter as much as others, that I don't have as much to contribute, um, that there are debates I don't belong in, there are discussions I don't belong in, I can go sit outside and, and wait. There's something really scary about that, and I'm not saying what we need are more white men involved in in things, but I'm also not saying we should intentionally look to exclude people in in discussions i just don't think that that's conducive to a lot of respectful and engaging commentary and look you can disagree with me all you want but all i have to say is look at the conservative movement in canada for what happens as a result of that stuff you know the last 10 years the progressive movement has had a lot of wins but it's gonna lose the long game if it's pushing people away from it and into a conservative space and you know, I think, I think there's a lot to be said for why that happens. And the only way you can really belong these days in the progressive movement as someone who is a straight white man uh, is if you sit down, shut up, agree with everything that everyone says around you, don't disagree or be critical or have a critical thought about anything and essentially be a vessel for other people's thoughts and opinions. I don't know about you, but that's just not me. That's just never been me. Uh, I'm someone who has strong opinions and strong thoughts and strong perspectives. And that kind of exclusionary leadership if you want to call it, that exclusionary groupthink is is going to be the downfall of the progressive left movement. I know there are folks out there who really deride and despise this. I think of my friend Lee Phillips who's a science writer. He's not in for this. And he's very much a socialist. He may even consider himself a Marxist. I'm sure he does he's one of the most thoughtful people i've ever met i really want to get him on this podcast to have discussions about this stuff but he decries all of this cancel culture nonsense um he's very very noam chomsky and about free speech and i think a lot of this is really there's a lot of free speech stuff packed up in all of this so you know i've been thinking a lot about all of these things so moving away from twitter i think is a way to kind of help me process a lot of this stuff being back into counseling is another way to help me process this stuff um and of course being on here with you is another way to help me process these things i appreciate so much the community that we are developing here on the ryan painter podcast the community of people who can be thoughtful critical we don't need to agree there's absolutely no need to agree but to do so in a way where we're constantly feeling like we can't have a thought an opinion a perspective we can't um we can't just discuss things it's hard and it's hurtful it's why i invite the kind of people i invite onto the podcast some people who i disagree with some people who i won't but look when you hear us debate and have discussions i'm not coming at people (laughs) with pitchforks if I disagree with them I'll make a point I'll make a statement I'll ask them an open-ended question that they can respond to and give them an opportunity to say their piece it's this is not a platform for folks to come on my show and me to try to tear a strip off them that's not what this is about and in my interview with Sarah Clark Chaminara a little later you'll you'll hear a little bit of that like I do pose some questions to her that are on my mind certainly around feminism and liberal feminism and make no mistake, I'm a feminist, quite proudly so. And But feminism in and of itself is not monolithic. There's a lot of various kinds of, of feminism. And we talk about these things. And I pose a couple questions to her that are really quite thoughtful. And I like the direction that they took us in. And we don't necessarily agree, but that's totally fine. Sarah herself says, I'm not a cancel culture person. Um, and I'll admit, it wasn't easy for me uh, having these conversations because we're in a place right now where... If you question something as a straight white man, um, you know that cancel mob can come after you pretty darn fast. So, I uh, I appreciated how how thoughtful um, she was, how willing she was to have a conversation and have a bit of a back and forth. Um, I certainly hope that we can get her back on the show again. I wanted to let you know as well that um, occasionally on this show and attached to them uh, through certainly through the Spotify app, there are polls. There are poll questions that you can go to. Um, and the uh, I had a poll question from my interview with Dr. Julian Summers, if you don't recall the podcast episode, we talked about BC's approach to the addictions crisis. And Dr. Julian Summers from Simon Fraser University's public health, very much an expert on addictions management, addictions, addictions treatment. Uh, very critical of the BC government's uh, kind of isolated stance on this, really at odds with most of the literature today. And in fact, the approaches that have worked. And one of the poll questions I asked um, in that episode was, is BC taking the right approach to solving the addictions crisis? And the resounding support of a total of two voters (laughs) said no, Um, which I really appreciate the fact that two folks went in there and responded to the poll. So look, I I haven't been doing polls on every episode. I will do them on uh, this episode and I'll try to do them going forward. So if you're on Spotify and you're listening to this, please do go ahead and uh, check out if there's a poll, give me your feedback. I'd love to hear what you think about this stuff. So yesterday, as I mentioned, I helped co-organize with the Christian community. And yes, I think I've mentioned this, but I am a Christian. I'm not denominational. I don't belong to a church, but I am proudly uh, a Christian. And um, I helped with uh, the Christian community, members of the Christian community, organize a rally for the Jewish community and in support of Israel at the legislature, um, on the legislative lawn uh, in, in BC, the capital of BC, our, our, where our provincial elected body is, where the premier sits, where the cabinet, the executive council sits. It is it is the seat of power for the province of BC. It's an important place. And so we had this rally there. 300 people turned out. It was amazing. And before and after I interviewed three folks who were there who I really wanted to get their perspective, two of them uh, leaders in the Jewish community here in Victoria, um, Rabbi Meyer Kaplan, Rabbi Lingreno, both of them uh, leaders here in the Jewish community. And then um, I noticed as well, Councillor Ian Ward um, was was there. And Councillor Ian Ward has been very outspoken about his family's experience uh and he'll share quite a bit about that he's also been very outspoken about anti-semitism he's been very outspoken about what happened to selena robinson and he's been unafraid and he's not been shy about giving his perspective so um we're going to roll in to those interviews one after the other here um coming up next so first you'll hear rabbi meyer kaplan second you'll hear rabbi lynn grennell then you'll hear Callwood counselor ian ward and then i'll come in at the back half to introduce my interview with sarah clark Jaminara.
1: My name is Mayor Kaplan and I'm a rabbi with Chabad of Vancouver Island. So this event was organized by the Christian community um, and they wanted the Jewish community to come as well. And for us, it was extremely heartwarming to see citizens of the city who are standing with Israel, who understand that this fight Israel has is not uh, a fight of Israel or Jewish people, but the fight of, of all decent people who care for goodness, for just, for peace, um so we have many people we know support us, but many times uh, it takes some guts to speak up in the environment that we are in. And I think uh, that was wonderful, first of all, to have people speak up here, but hopefully that will encourage people to continue to speak up in their communities, in their homes, in whatever um, circles they have, to be a voice for truth, a voice in support of Israel, and uh, this was a great encouragement for the Jewish community to see that we have friends who stand with us. What did that make you feel as a, a, a leader in the Jewish community to come here and see that Victoria turned out in huge numbers? Yes, I definitely, I know that we have many supporters out there. Mm. I meet them on the streets, I meet them when I go shopping. And of course, they know I'm Jewish, I'm a rabbi, and they express their support. But sometime, um, it, like I said, in this environment, they need to come together with other people to be able to express it and uh, this really made us feel that we do have friends here and despite the fact that the last few months have been pretty concerning not only in the Middle East but also here in Victoria uh, the fact that we know that we do have friends and people who care for what's right and what's true uh, that a great encouragement for me personally for the entire community we are we are very thankful to the organizers and we hope this is uh, the first out of many of such events. So, Victoria can hear a different voice as well. It's been, it's been great to see the voices here. It's great to see the presence here. What do you
0: want people who aren't here, or who weren't here, what do you want them to know? And how do you want them, if they feel moved, if they feel called to help, but they don't know what to do? What, what would you like to encourage them to do?
1: So, first of all, I think everyone can be an influence in their circle if it's their home if it's their friends there's a lot of ignorance out there because there's a, a lot of misinformation which is um unfortunately been um sent and shared is accurate information and and people go for it and that's very unfortunate so uh, what we what we are um, just hoping is that people will um, use the influence on whoever they come in contact with so they will know what's true and what's right and um, so it doesn't need that we don't need to have a gathering anyone can make a difference because we live in a place where uh, we know the social media and many other medias have unfortunately been taken over and it's very important that people who care for what's true care to stand with Israel should speak up speak up loudly, and they should know. There's many other people who think alike. And if we all come together, then we become very loud. Rabbi Kaplan, Shalom Aleichem, thank you so much. Thank you, Thanks so much, (laughs) appreciate
0: it.
2: Lynn Greenoff, and I'm Rabbi at Kolot Mayim Reform Temple.
0: And Rabbi, what are we doing here today?
2: Well, I guess I'll find out with everyone else, Um, (laughs) but we were invited through Jewish Federation to join Christian church groups, and Christian individuals who want to demonstrate their support for Jews. Uh, I think Jews around the world, Jews in Victoria, and quite particularly for Israel. Uh, You've been seeing, I mean apparently not everybody has been seeing on social media and the news, some of the demonstrations, both here and around the world, that use very vitriolic and invective language like intifada, from the river to the sea. I mean, those seem to be the two most popular phrases. Both of which are calling for the elimination, basically, of Jews Mm -hmm. from the state of Israel, um, which is a very serious concern Mm -hmm. and in fact should be forbidden as hate speech, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have had a couple of gatherings here uh, along Belleville that have been very peaceful Um, A few of us, hi Rabbi Kaplan, a few of us have been here demonstrating support for the hostages. Uh, There's 134, we don't exactly know who's still living and who's dead, Um, still beyond their kidnapping held in the tunnels. And so we're also here to show support for those hostages who I'm sure are really suffering.
0: So Rabbi, why is this so important? Why is having people out here showing solidarity and support with the Jewish community and particularly um, the Christian community kind of joining arm-in-arm with the local Jewish community and, and helping support this? Why is this so important?
2: Well, I think it's a very, very interesting time historically because you know yourself as a Christian, the history between Jews and Christians has not been pretty Mm. for many centuries. And the fact that we can find ourselves coming together to act in solidarity for the rights of Jews to live in one country in the entire world, not 56, Mm -hmm. one country in the entire world, where we hold that the existence of that country, I would say since October seventh has demonstrated even more importantly how it is to have a place of refuge for Jews. Because what we're seeing across the world is this eruption of Jew hatred. I personally choose to not use the word anti-Semitism. That hmm. word was originally coined by a German, William Marr, who coined it to identify Jews who were a danger to German society? Well, I so have no idea That's me, where it came from. For me, it's a very problematic term. I would imagine so. Somehow. When I see marches, when I see people marching in front of Mount Sinai Hospital, when I see people taking over the downtown of Victoria week after week after week, you recognize that voices and numbers matter, and we need to demonstrate through more peaceful measures to our municipal, to our provincial, and to our federal uh, politicians that it's not just that Jews matter. They need to take their Jewish population's safety very seriously. And there's a lot of Jews around the world now who are not feeling safe and Mm -hmm. who are feeling a threat, not just from Islamists, and I'm going to be very, very precise here, I'm Mm -hmm. not talking Muslims, Mm -hmm. I'm not talking the individual good Muslims, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about Islamist terrorism, Mm -hmm. which has decided to speak of the war in Gaza as a genocide, it is not a genocide, anyone who knows the legal terminology knows this is not a genocide. I think the the biggest irony for many of us is watching how so many young people who deem themselves to be progressive members of the LGBTQ community um, have joined forces with a very tyrannical woman-hating Islamist culture. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of preposterous. Well, and to see
0: them get behind the Houthis was yeah, just yeah. shocking, to say Yeah, exactly. This yeah.
2: is not a community that values them no. and values their existence. So no. it's really kind of preposterous. Hi, Maurice. Hi, Anne.
0: <laughs> what, <laughs> so uh, it's important to be here. What would you want people to know who weren't able to come here?
2: I want them to know that... Jews have lived in Israel for thousands of years. There has never been a time where the geographical area that we now know as the State of Israel where Jews have not lived. We have always been a presence. We did not steal land. There are so many falsehoods and lies uh, that are circulating Jews and Israel and I want people to take a couple of hours. I want people to just take a couple of hours and get some credible sources and read about what is, albeit a very complicated political story, Mm -hmm. but to get a little more balance in terms of how Israel, the state, evolved and why. So if we come up to this Christian-Jewish relationship this is 70 plus years post Shoah, Yeah, which was a disaster for Christians.
0: Yeah, wow. it was, truly.
2: It was a disaster in ethical and moral terms. It was yep. a disaster for Jews because 6 million of us met our death. Well, and so the Catholic Church kinds. had a
0: platform of non-involvement exactly. and, and so exactly. it, you're absolutely right. So
2: the fact that we can come together now and say, yes, to Israel mm-hmm. yes to the right for Jews to live in peace is incredibly important and I want people to understand that That's thank it. you rabbi I appreciate You're most your time. Welcome. thank you for asking the questions
3: uh, Ian Ward and uh, city of Colwood counselor this is a movement that means a great deal to me I have uh, Jewish relatives by marriage um, my my aunt Judy or her, her maiden name, Hershon. Um, her, both her parents are Holocaust survivors um, who, you know, ironically met after the war on their, their way to the new world to America um, after losing both of their respective immediate families and, and you know, extended family in, in the Holocaust. So um, so I have a real sense of the history. It's deeply personal for me. And, you know, I think I'm here today largely because the pro-Palestinian movement, which you may or may not hear in the background, the um, they morphed very quickly from you know October eighth onwards, really, from a, an anti-war standpoint to to very much an anti-Jewish standpoint, you know. And I think um, it's beholden upon all of us as Canadians to stand up for our values, for our, our secular liberal democracy, and say no, we won't tolerate hate here. Jewish people are part of our community fabric mm-hmm. um, as, as our Christians and peaceful Muslims and everybody else. And yeah. so when we see Jewish businesses targeted just because they're Jewish, you know, this is a real warning flag. This is a canary in the coal mine, if
0: you will, kind of reminiscent of 1930s Germany. Not easy being outspoken on this issue because the attacks come from all sides. I know you've experienced that yourself. Do you want to talk? Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: I can, yeah. I think you you put a target on yourself when you stand up for the Jewish community, which in and of itself is... Is concerning, right? Mm. That shouldn't be the the case. And you know, if you were to stand up for any other persecuted minority group, you'd be lauded for for you know your exemplary work, and you know people would be cheerleading your efforts. Um, but ironically, the folks that do that cheerleading, the progressive left, they've really embraced this this. Visceral hate against Jews, and those that stand up for Jews are targeted. So I've, you know, been the subject of death threats, of you know, all sorts of various um, social media, you know, issues, and and you know, in my role as a counselor, which is unrelated to my personal stance here. Nonetheless, they still bombard City Hall with letters and correspondence. You know, everybody's seeking my resignation or censure or punishment of some kind or another for what standing up for a persecuted minority group in our country.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's brave to do so because those kind of responses, they can cause people to try to recoil because it's scary, um, especially when it goes from being online, which a lot of it is kind of an anonymous thing, some of it, um, to becoming actually written and very personal. It feels personal. How are you just in general managing with that? Because I'm sure it weighs on you quite a bit. Well, it does a bit. There's
3: always that concern that they're going to confront you personally or at City Hall or in your home or anywhere. And, yes. you know, you have to balance that. But then, you know, what I think... Moves me, and what I think about is that, you know, in, in again going using that reference 1930s Germany, that you know, people then were fearful too of speaking up and standing out, and nobody wanted to be exposed, and you know, and because they didn't, we saw where it went, you know, crystal knocked and onwards, and I think you know, never again should mean something. And I, I you know for me, it's a principled stand. You know, my wife and I have talked about it. At the end of the day, if it costs me a position in local government, if, you know, if it becomes something more than it is, then so be it. I can look in the mirror every night and know that I didn't compromise my values and I stood up for, for people when others weren't willing to do so.
0: So what do you take away from this? About 300 people turned out from the Christian community, a um, uh, huge uh, number of Jewish citizens and probably others as well. What's your takeaway from this?
3: What was striking for me, you know, first of all, that it really is a silent majority. There's mm-hmm. a great deal, as the majority of Canadians, you know, stand by, um, you know, our Jewish community. And I think we saw that today, but you also saw the contrast in, the peaceful words and you know the the camaraderie and you know the respect for law enforcement, everything here in contrast to what we see in the pro-Palestine movement. The you know the, the face mask, you know, everybody's wearing kefias over their faces and hiding themselves, aggressive gestures, getting up in people's faces. In in other cities we see violence, right? We see property damage. You know, we see attacks on people and property. Um, the contrast couldn't be more stark. This yeah. is um, this is a community of peaceful people, and uh, and you saw that today.
0: So, do you have any final thoughts, Ian, as we go away from this uh, amazing event and very peaceful and uh, hopefully uh, repeated uh, event? Do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd like people who are listening, who maybe weren't here, um, to know?
3: Well, I think you said it right there, repeated events. I think what was missing, the only thing I would have said was missing was a call to action, mm. which was come back, come out again, stand up. We are a silent majority, but I think we can be less silent. You know, I think silence has emboldened the, the opponents, or the opposition, if you will. And, you know, things like the, the dismissal of Selena Robinson, for example, have emboldened this group to think that if we're violent and obnoxious and loud and in your face, you know, we, we can dominate the... You know the conversation, and we saw today that there's a far more of us than there are of them, and yep. we need to get the numbers out. We need people to stand up and say, "This is enough. No more. It's time to stop."
0: Ian Callwood councillor, thank you so much for joining me today for a conversation on this, and thanks for coming out. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. I hope you were able to really uh, glean some important pieces from all three of those interviews. I'll just wrap by saying how wonderful it was at the very end of the event when i was wrapping up um i went around to all the police officers that were there the special protective constables, the liaisons and i shaked each one of their hands and thanked them for being there looked them in the eye said thank you thank you for being here thank you for keeping us safe and there were about maybe 20 or 30 there kind of dispersed um and then a uh, uh three young Jewish folks came up to me, young Jewish people, they must have been in their 20s, maybe late teens, early 20s, one of them probably in their late 20s, came up to me. And this one young, young, young woman had a Israel flag wrapped around her. And she looked at me and her eyes near tears. She said, thank you so much for doing this. Can I please give you a hug? And I said, of course, you can give me a hug. I'd love to, I'd love to give you a hug. And I gave her a hug. And she really squeezed. And I felt in that hug, hope. I felt in that hug a desire to be understood and to be known and to be felt and to be heard and to be cared for and the desire to be safe. The young man next to her was um, uh, Um, well-dressed. Top collar button was open showing a, a Star of David necklace. Um, handsome young man, very articulate, very well-spoken, just said, thank you. And then another young, young fellow beside her said to me, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I've taken photos, I've taken videos to send back to my family in Israel. They feel alone and this rally is going to help them feel that they're not so alone. And I immediately thought This whole event, the stress that I had leading up to it, the anxiety attacks that I had leading up to it was worth it. It means that there's a family in Israel who has seen photos from the event, who has seen videos from the event, feels a little safer, a little less alone. The entire thing was worth it. It really was. And so I'm uh, incredibly honored to have done that, to have put this together. And to have enabled some hope to go halfway across the world to the only land, the only nation on the planet where the Jews can live, should be able to live in peace. And I really hope that peace can be found soon. And in the meantime, the silent majority is not silent any longer. The silent majority, I hope that this event is an indication that the silent majority will not be silent any longer. We are going to speak out. We are going to speak up. We are going to start taking public space and we are going to show ourselves and show the community that we are here. So thank you for your support. And if you want to learn more, I encourage you, go to... Um, go to CJA center for Israel and Jewish affairs, find, you can do what I did actually, um, find a synagogue in your community. Uh, Victoria has one of the oldest, if not the oldest synagogues, um, uh, Emmanuel here in, uh, Victoria, one of the oldest synagogues, I believe in Canada. Um, I reached out myself to, uh, Rabbi Lynn Grena. Was actually a family friend, ironically enough. Um, She's a friend of my mom's wife. Um, Long story there, but essentially my mom's wife, Marianne, when she first came to Victoria from Quebec, didn't speak much English. And Lynn at the time uh, and her family embraced Marianne, helped her learn English, helped her adapt, helped her to become uh, integrated into the community, helped her through uh, UVic, all of those things. So Lynn is just an excellent, wonderful human being. And I reached out to Lynn myself, and Lynn invited me to her temple for uh, her synagogue for uh, for lunch. I had matzo ball soup for the very first time. It was amazing. And we sat and we prayed together. And uh, I felt in the company of family, as I've felt for such a long time with the Jewish community. It's a wonderful feeling. And so I'm I'm just grateful that I could send that feeling around, but please reach out to a local synagogue, see if you can have some conversations with folks with the Jewish community and reach out to a rabbi. They're incredibly approachable um, and they'll appreciate it. Sarah Elder Chamanara is the founder and creative director of the political and feminist brand, Madam Premier. If you don't know Madam Premier, head over to the website which is MadamPremier.com, m-a-d-a-m-e premier.com and oh my gosh is there so much here there are shirts there are hats there are coffee cups there are paintings there is so much coffee mugs travel mugs infant clothes toddler clothes there's just so much here and it's such a positive happy place to be when you look at some of the stuff that's here there's these shirts and these small toddler clothes that say future member of parliament future prime minister um vote elect women uh love means vote more um wait what does that say love oh love me less vote me more um and it's just great uh great stuff here um uh fuck you glass ceiling a little pennant i love that um lg people belong in council chambers the legislature the house of commons and the senate Yimby, yes, in my backyard. This cup, I love it. If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention, hello. Um, Women's rights are human rights. uh, I mean, just the stuff here is amazing. Um, And I just love the initiative, the energy. Um, Sarah launched this back in 2019. She'll talk about why she did, what it meant for her to do so, what her favorite item or items are. And um, we talk about feminism. We talk about anti-Semitism. we talk about political alignment, and it's nice to have someone who is also a 40-year-old, because I turned 40 in a few months, yikes, and to, to have someone to kind of chat with um, in that in that age range, because we come from that similar experience growing up in the 90s, and um, really kind of going through uh, a lot of stuff there. So I, I felt a real kindredness with Sarah, um, it was a really easy conversation to have, Um But we also had some some we tackled some interesting conversations some topics i put some tough questions to her she responded uh thoughtfully as i knew she would and i really look forward to hopefully getting her back on the show at some point so here is my interview with the founder and creative director of madam premier sarah elder shamanara sarah thanks so much for joining me today i'm uh, super uh honored and privileged to have you here i've been a fan of yours and madam premier for a very long time so I, I'm uh, I'm a little bit verklemped <laughs> to have you on if oh. that's good or bad. Just I'm quite excited, actually.
4: Well, I'm excited that you asked, and so I'm happy to to chat, and I'm very excited to go on this chat journey with you, not knowing what we're going to talk about.
0: Well, and I have to say it's quite brave of you. <laughs> not a lot of people are willing to just come on with no agenda and just kind of have a, have a conversation. Um,
4: oh, I mean... I think that's sometimes the best way to have a conversation.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I, I certainly the reason why I started the podcast was to just have conversations because I find, yeah. um, you know, I'm turning forty this year, uh, and it's oh. I was I was sitting with a a, a group of friends yesterday who are, uh, we'll we'll call them more life experienced than I am. So like
4: me, geriatric millennials? I
0: mean, yeah, right? Uh, I mean, that's I, I I, guess that's okay. Geriatric millennial, right? That, that's that's fine. Experience I turned 40 last
4: year, so I'm comfortable with that term.
0: <laughs> seasoned millennial. And I told them I was turning 40 and it's kind of a thing for me. Like I'm not quite there in my head yet. It, it, June 9th for, you know, that, that that's the day. And they both kind of looked at me and they said, Ryan, you're so young. <laughs> well... Good.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we are still very young. I mean, hopefully, we both live much longer. Oh yeah, right. Knock on wood. So, I mean, it's it's pretty you know easy these days to live until eighty plus, especially if you're a woman because we take better care of ourselves, and so that's why we have a longer life expectancy.
0: A hundred percent. Like my wife we were actually we're celebrating 20 years together this year which is also pretty oh, awesome. wow. like we're we're celebrating 20 years together uh <laughs> the year that i you got married when you me. were 20 so so here's like we we got together when i was 20 and she was 19 um she was my second serious girlfriend um i think i was her second serious boyfriend um and uh we we for me <laughs> For me, it was love at first sight, like it totally was like drop dead gorgeous, brilliant, smart, like studied uh, political science and economics in the university. Um, I always say she was slumming it when she <laughs> decided to, to be with me, but she'll contend that actually I'm, 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 uh, I'm also equally uh, awesome, which is great. Hmm. Um, but yeah, 20, 20 years together, um, you know, we're not quote unquote, you know, married, like in a formal way. But, I mean, our my heart was married to her very quickly. And wow, um, and I think, and just
4: the day we're recording this the day before Valentine's Day. So, I mean, just put that in a card and you're done.
0: <laughs> make sure she I don't know if she can listen to the podcast because she I think she she loves me so much that listening to me sometimes makes her nervous. <laughs>
4: that's ok. My husband doesn't always listen to my podcast. Um, uh, sometimes he'll tell me proactively that he did right um but sometimes most of the time maybe I have to remind him more
0: right right yeah I mean when I I was um the only time I think she's actually been actively engaged in some kind of political thing that I did um I mean other than I mean I was the school trustee and board chair here for four years in Victoria that was that was stressful enough for her but I was at an NDP convention in um in Ottawa um and I was on tv giving a speech and she said i'm not going to watch it i'm not going to watch it and then she watched it and she was like i was so nervous i had to like go take a break after watching your speech she's just you know that's fair
4: that's fair i feel like maybe that's the equivalent of like a a sports spouse watching their partner husband you know get you know play the big game (laughs) just in a a, you know in a political sense
0: a very different there's just no touching Speaking, yeah, well, and speaking of sports, um, did you, um, are you, did you watch the Super Bowl? I didn't watch it. I only saw some stuff afterwards, but I know. That well, that's I did
4: nice. because I was actually um, at the store on Sunday and mm-hmm. I have a TV in the store. Um, not to watch sporting events, actually, but to watch like political things. Yeah. Um, but I did put the game on. Um, and prior to the game being on, actually, I was. um there was a like it seemed like a big women's basketball college basketball
5: hmm. game
4: on with Caitlin Clark who's like one of the superpower all-star American college basketball players right now.
5: Hmm.
4: Um, and so I had that on with Taylor Swift playing, so it was like you know a very good vibe going on. And then I changed it to the football game, but I mean I watch it. It takes so. Can we swear on your podcast? Oh yeah, absolutely. It takes fucking forever for them to get down to the end of the fields. Like they pick up the ball, they run with it, then they all fall down, you know, maybe a few feet away from where they were, and then they run a little bit more, and it's just like so boring sometimes. So
0: Listen, I played football um in high school. It's even boring to play. I mean, I'm telling you. It it Well, it...
4: nothing's as bad as baseball. Baseball is the worst.
0: Yes. Football is it. above. Baseball, I would say. Volleyball is an amazing, uh, fun sport to play. I also find golf boring, but volleyball. I played volleyball.
4: Oh, yeah. Golf is also. Is... Golf is like on par with.
0: On par? Um, was, <laughs> was that an intentional pun, Sarah? Was <laughs> that an intentional pun saying on par?
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> um Golf is also boring, although I will say it's more interesting after having watched that um, Netflix special on some of the people that play golf
0: oh, I didn't know there was one.
4: Yeah, and I found that really interesting because I find their personal stories, like, really, you know, some of them can be really compelling. And there was one in particular that I really identified. He was, um, you know, kind of, like, written off for the most part is like, he, like well, maybe that, that's not fair to say, but he... Came from like a single parent home, like Mm. he was raised by his mom. So was Mm. I. You know, no one ever really thought that either he or I would amount to much. Yeah. And um, and then and so and then he had cancer while he was like, and you know, just seemed really down to earth and and like humble and a really good guy. Um, and so that makes me a little bit more interested in 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 sports in general. Whenever I find out the backstory of somebody.
0: I'm I'm interested it's a totally different tangent but I mean you know you say that you were raised by a single mom my my wife was as well um hmm. I I wasn't necessarily my dad just wasn't around um and then uh, my mom kind of raised me with my grandmother and my stepdad came along when I was like 7 or 8 years old what is it about parent kids who have been through stuff <laughs> like that that makes them so fucking resilient and able to just power through because um, I can't claim to have that same level of experience but I I also kind of feel an ownership of feeling like for a time it was just my mom and like she yeah. she really powered through to do what she could to me and I was also born with a cloth open and palate and I needed speech therapy and I had all kinds of surgeries like for her it was just like the world fell apart when I was born because she loved me mm-hmm. so much. But then at the same time in 1984, she just kind of was like, Oh my gosh, like he's going to need all this work and all these surgeries and this life ahead mm-hmm. of him that looks so challenging. And she was yeah. just such a superhero. So what yeah. is it about us? I feel that makes us just so resilient.
4: Um. Well, you know, I actually, I've, I have thought about this and I feel like it can go two ways because I grew up in a really, really, bad situation. Mm. Um, My parents had a really traumatic um, divorce Mm. and um, it impacted me um, and probably still does like adults, Mm. you know, life experience now that I have children. Um, But it was really traumatic. Like we're talking like, you know, our phone calls were taped. Um, I was, you know, a witness to domestic violence. Like it was a really, really tough situation to grow up in. And I don't talk about it at all actually, which is, I probably should start talking about it more because Mm. um, it is so prevalent in our society to Mm. this day. Um, And I honestly think that maybe, you know, there's, it's like you're on a path and there's two roads and you can either like, there's some moment where you end up going down the right path versus the left path. And it just takes you in a different direction because I think for a lot of kids who grew up in circumstances like I did, they don't end up on the path that I did. And that was, I think, just by luck. Not, I don't know. I don't, I really don't. Um, because I do know that there's a lot of kids that experience what I did who are in a much different place in their lives
0: than I am right now. But it was, if we, if, you know, you, you, luck also luck plays a lot in terms of kind of what happens in our lives like you know myself I was I was an accident quote unquote right um and but you know it's the luck that takes you to a certain point but after that is it is it kind of an internal fire that kind of keeps Um, you going or pushes you in a direction or is it that environmental experience
4: I think you know like I think it's a mix of luck and, and, and like, honestly, like hard work, Mm. or just realizing that maybe you want something different in life. I mean, on the back of this, I'll just say that I was an extremely weird child, Mm. because like, who starts having policy, political policy discussions in like, elementary school? I mean, obviously, you might, there's like, there are people, Mm. I know, I'm not the only one. But it is There's a not small a lot of us, group who not a are, lot of <laughs> you know, politically inclined, and there was no reason for me to be politically inclined mm. because politics was never discussed. My 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 life situation was like about my parents' stuff
5: mm.
4: and about like going to school. Um, like it was really like I can never remember, um, playing, for example, with both of my parents. I don't mm. have a memory like that. Mm but um so maybe when my elementary school teacher popped on the tv one day and was like oh we're gonna watch CBC for 15 minutes today and then we're gonna talk about it I don't know that was just like something inside of me was like grabbed and that changed the direction of my life it just took a long time (laughs) to get
0: there yeah well no I mean I've had the same thing like I've I've obviously very different circumstances but i mean i'm i'm 40 again this year and i i don't even really know if i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing right now like i've changed jobs so many times um i was elected i worked at the for the you know i was a constituency assistant i was a consultant i i and i'm consult Who now are you a, a
5: constituency
4: bit. assistant for
0: um gary holman in 2013 from 2013 to 2016 i was his ca um that uh-huh. actually is what got me here to victoria um, i was living in the interior in uh, vernon that's where my wife and i met actually um and then he was elected in 2013 um i actually drove from vernon to victoria for the job interview that's how much mm-hmm. how badly i wanted it and I, I say this to sometimes people i he offered to do a skype interview and i don't know if anybody uses skype anymore if that's even still a thing
4: they do right? i can tell you okay. that ctv does
0: oh okay well there you go but yeah that's it was my uh my 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 brief time as an actual full-time paid political staffer and then I went from there to doing consulting work and for the NDP and stuff um which isn't the case anymore because I left the party a year and a half ago
4: (laughs) I was gonna say maybe we we can do a a, a current We you can share where you are politically right now
0: yeah I mean oh Sarah (laughs) you've you've uh you've it's you've hit me in a weird place um uh you know I so, for twenty somewhat I mean, I joined the NDP when I was sixteen, and for like twenty ish years, I was deeply involved in organizing, and I was like,, uh, I was like your typical kind of insider running election campaigns, and I was on provincial council federal council, in Vernon all these things, yeah, in well, in Vernon, but also like I was sent to Edmonton or to um Mississauga. I was sent to Dartmouth. you know that
4: but you know that Vernon is b c liberal territory, right?
0: I do, yeah, I do totally, yeah 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 no I, I mean I'm sure
4: you do because I, it was yeah
0: it was actually Harwinder Sandhu the current M- MLA there is but was a very good friend of mine and I kind of brought her up into the the space I told her one day I said you will be the MLA here I don't know when that's going to happen but you will be the MLA <laughs> so I'm thrilled that, that that's happened but um yeah right now I, I think I've found myself I don't know if this is an elder millennial thing or not but uh kind of in the center center right oddly enough like I find myself Mm. I don't know if I've always been there or if I've matured into that space I know being elected um when I came into my role as a school trustee I was 34 years old um totally naive (laughs) was going to change the world and then realized it doesn't happen that way Mm -hmm. um but it was actually the folks who were kind of more conservative and moderate on the board that kind of taught me a little bit about working together and actually I think moderated me a little bit so it's mm. weird I I don't know where I'm at exactly I, ju- I do know that um I did leave the NDP uh uh both provincially and federally not in like flaming fashion I just resigned mm. and didn't didn't renew my memberships um but it's it's kind of an odd place right now. I don't, you know, if someone asks me who you're going to vote for in the next provincial election, I know who I'll vote for. I'll Which vote is for- in October. Right. Well, I'll vote for BC United, like 100%. Like, that's okay. not going to be a difficult thing for me to 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 figure out. Federally, I I have no idea where I'm going. Although I'll admit, I'm probably leaning a bit towards the federal conservatives, mostly because here in Esquimalt View Royal area.
4: You're not going to be elected. Well, who
0: knows oh i who knows who knows i mean it's it's you never know i mean we're not there's no incumbent in this one about souk yeah it's ndp territory and
4: there's a big blue wave coming and i don't know if we can necessarily anticipate its impact
0: well in two years is a long time which i think kind of what most of us assume when the next election will be i don't think trudeau and them are in any hurry to go election you mean you don't soon. think
4: drug made gonna play pull the plug on over dental care or
0: i think he does care. oh i think he does i think his pseudo when he has more money in the bank yeah well they're they're i don't know if they're broke but they don't have a lot of money um yeah. and i don't think they're ready for an election um they don't strike no. me as a party that is ready uh not to the extent that the conservatives <laughs> are and especially in blue territory where ndp currently hold seats um they just don't strike me as ready but who knows you yeah. know it, we we can pro- we can prognosticate a lot and be wrong a lot i was showing yes. a friend of mine i don't know if you recall the 2013 election i'm not sure if you were still in bc or not um for the 2013 no,
4: i had already moved to alberta but i did spend some time in that election campaign volunteering on door knocking um and sometimes just sitting in the campaign office of mm. Um, the the last minister I worked for in BC, which was Naomi Yamamoto, who's the former oh, MLA wow. for North oh, Vancouver Langdale.
0: Right, right. So remember, remember uh, Mike Smith's. This guy could kick a dog, and what's yeah. the
4: <laughs> Yes, <laughs> the
0: worst front page ever. Will live in infamy. Um, and uh, I think you know we can't ever really predict anything. You know. Yeah. Well, or Adrian Dix yeah well he'll do fine yeah. uh, <laughs> he'll do fine um i wanted to i wanted to pivot a little bit to talk about madam premier because i i i mean it's synonymous i think with that really important conversations about women in politics gender equity political equity equality I, I, and it, it's a brand that just kind of stands out on its own i was actually perusing through your, uh, um, shop yesterday. And I want, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is if you have a favorite item.
4: Oh, um, mm, well, I love all of my babies. (laughs) Um, I love them in different ways. Um, and then with time, I love some of them less just because I'm like, oh, you know, like, why did I do that? Or I wish I would have changed something in the design or, Mm. you know, like, oh, I could have done this differently, or I wish I made it in a different color. Um I have those conversations with myself a lot but presently I mean there's two that I just released in the last few weeks which um are the Taylor for President yes <laughs> sweater mm-hmm. um and uh and then the other one that I released is it's a it's a red sweater kind of like for Valentine's Day And actually red and green the taylor sweater is actually a forest green Mm -hmm. and red red and green are my favorite colors
0: christmas colors
4: i know well yeah and you don't often wear them together and it would be really uncomfortable to wear two sweaters at the same time unless you can like you know unless you were like travis um and jason kelsey's mom and you like took two sweaters (laughs) and stitched them together so that you're like representing both your babies right um uh so and it's red and it has a heart and it says politics inside Mm -hmm. which is an updated design that i did from a pink t-shirt from 2020 right um so i wanted to bring that back for all the you know the people who like a little bit of a feminine design um and are okay who you know love red without it being, you know, political, because I really, for the most part, for fun designs, I really try to like pick different colors for designs that I make um, that like, for example, the women's places in politics, people are like, Mm. why is it always black? Mm. There's a very good reason why it's black. It's black because I don't want it to become a partisan message.
0: Ah, very good Because
4: I firmly believe that advocating for women and diversity in politics elected and unelected is transcends political party um and madam premier is also a multi-partisan brand which mm-hmm. we can talk about if you want to and oh, yeah. sometimes causes trouble but the reason why it's black and people have asked would you make this in red would you make this in blue would you make this in orange and the answer is always no right. um because I want someone in the Conservative Party to wear it, and I want someone in the Liberal Party to wear it because I want them both to care, however that may look for them, about just there being more women in politics.
0: So incredibly thoughtful, and it's actually uh, a great segue into one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, there was a time when we had, um, and I think, I'm I'm going to get the timing wrong, but I think 2012, 2013, when we had like four or five female premiers, in Canada we, mm-hmm. had, we had Christy Clark I remember Kathy Dunderdale mm-hmm. Allison Redford um I don't know if Kathleen Wynne overlapped with them I think she may have um she
4: did with Christy right I believe
5: right.
4: and then we had um well yeah I mean at all at one time I mean there's up until recently ish there's been a really good streak of having women um as, as premiers across Mm -hmm. the country, there's Mm
0: -hmm. a lack of them right now. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask because I, 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 I struggle with this a little bit. This is a conversation my wife and I have, um, is about, obviously we want more women represented in politics that goes without saying, like, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that that is anything that needs to be debated. However, is it fair to judge a society and determine its equality based on how many women are represented at a political level. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah. I figured you would say yes. yes, And I I wanna peruse that a little bit with you.
4: Okay, well, okay, here's a question for you. Yeah. At what point in history did we ever, or did anyone ever have the same conversation? I'm talking about, you know, like going back to like, even 1867, Mm -hmm. where there was ever a conversation bound being like, you know what? Are there just too many men? (laughs)
0: <laughs> no that conversation has never been never been had i don't think and it's still yeah. to
4: this day is never i mean i mean is it really a hat like we don't ever talk we talk about needing more women mm. we never put it in the way of like we need less men and i mean so, actually sometimes i say that i do say that mm. um but like as a society there's no conversation uh you know they weren't being like oh you know in like 1905 1920 name a year
5: right yeah yeah
4: Um, Even when, especially, you know, women didn't have the vote in Canada, Mm -hmm. and how that the progression of, you know, white women were given the vote, and then um, black women, and then, you know, at the very end, like indigenous women. Mm -hmm. Um, So women are, you know until it's equal and until we're, we don't have to be, until I don't have to see like, you know, a mantle, which in case everyone, anyone hasn't heard that term, it's a man panel because mm-hmm. it's like, of course we've confined three white men to be on this panel. Like, oh my gosh, maybe there might be someone with a different viewpoint. Like when politics looks like society, balanced, diverse, by language by gender by background by you know like then you know then maybe i'll give it a rest but mm-hmm. like until then but i what i'll also say is that we can see this based on things happening in, in the states too
5: mm-hmm.
4: is that just because groups marginalized in in different ways women and um by like ethnic and you know all kinds of different things there's always going to be a group in society who's going to say, you know what, I'm going to make it my mission to take those hard won gains. And I am making it my life goal to take them back.
0: Yeah. To roll it back. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so
4: even when we do get parity in cabinet in, you know, different ways and government, different governments will say, I'm going to do this or, you know, look at my, you know, the cabinet I've put together or my caucus or, you know, there's, there's there's always someone, um, who is going to be like, yeah, I want to undo this Mm. because I don't think that, um, I think that gender quotas or diversity in politics is bullshit or, um, you're not advancing the best person for the job. But again, at what point in history have we ever elected the cream of the crop of men in politics or in anything, right? Mm. Like, Honestly, if you've ever, especially if you've ever worked in politics, Mm -hmm. like, honestly, it's a mixed bag in terms of competence and job performance and all Mm -hmm. kinds of different things. Throughout history, we have also not, you know, when it was only men, we weren't electing only the best men. It was Mm -hmm. like, so women are just so easily discredited in politics for, Mm -hmm. like, you're a quota hire or whatever it is, or you must be a part of a, you know, whatever moment or day it is to you know to get you here well actually what if they're just they also happen to be the most qualified
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very all very fair points and i i have a difficult time finding anything there that i disagree with I, I think perhaps uh where i get stuck uh and and perhaps this is my own need to kind of work through things uh is um i was listening to a, a bill maher um uh well, maybe that's your thing. first mistake. <laughs> well, it was specifically what he what he had mentioned was, um, he was talking about America and how poorly America is doing in terms of all kinds of representation. And one of the things he said is, you no, know, we have fewer elected women um, than Iraq does or behind them in elected representation. And I've often heard the comparison, um, you know, Afghanistan has more parity than Canada does. That was- Well, not anymore. At, at some point, not anymore, but certainly at, at one point. And, and I wonder- as a uh, it certainly seems to me like a, a liberal feminist perspective to say we mm-hmm. we certainly drive deri- a greater societal equity when we look at the there are more women elected to positions of power and i wonder if that is an effective reflection of our society in general and how equitable we've gotten because i would i would hazard a guess that afghanistan as we've seen it, and in places like iraq Although there seems to be some elected equity that has, you know, uh, achieved a, a greater degree of than ours, societally, women aren't act, act, uh, equal there. And perhaps we can say that they are more equal here in Canada than they are there. So I'm just, I, perhaps I'm not making my point very clearly, but I, I guess my question is, is it fair to say that we should look more broadly at equity and say, you know, we need equity at a societal level as well as at an, an elected level. And perhaps aiming for both of these things is fair. Does that make sense? Maybe I'm just rambling.
4: No, I mean, I mean, these are conversations that I have in my head too. Um like, you know, it's like a deep dark cave of <laughs> existential dread and questions. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. I mean. I mean Afghanistan is a good example of there's always someone waiting to my earlier point about someone waiting to come along and take back the hard-fought gains, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah. Um well, and even you know, in the US with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, right? Like that. Yeah. You don't even need to go that far back. That happened just last no, year. No,
4: you don't. Um and, you know, there are people in Canada who, I mean, have you ever heard of like tradwife content?
0: No. No
4: okay well this is an interesting rabbit hole like so or even you know so there's like i'm really fascinated by the by religion mm. in politics and i mm. i personally believe that church and state should be you know not just separate but like opposite ends of the earth from each mm. other i don't think that they they should have any um there should be any connection
0: i would agree with you um, as a as someone but, who is christian i would agree with you 100 percent
4: But there's some really um, like, you can, you know, there's like documentaries about it. Mm -hmm. There's, there are books about it. I think there's a new book out about it. Um, I can't remember the name, but I can send you the name of of it after. Um, But there's Mm -hmm. like the, you know, the influence of Christianity in Western politics, Mm -hmm. like in North American politics, even in Alberta politics nowadays um and how you know there's a there's a segment of this of this element of you know people in politics who believe that a woman's place is in the home that um uh you know that women shouldn't be talking about politics that we should be leaving it to the men in our lives i mean that's not just something that exists here obviously that exists in in other places like Iraq, that's like a global problem, to be yeah. honest. Um, yeah. You know, I think that in, in North America, we tend to think of ourselves as being, you know, like kind of like on a pedestal in terms of these things, but it True. is very much a real problem. True. Like um, it's not too hard to find someone who has ever been door knocking and they've had a wife come to the door or, you know, a woman, and they've they've said, you know, oh, that's my my husband decides, or I don't vote or... Yeah.
5: Yep.
4: Um, you know, I just don't like politics or, right? They've been disenfranchised to the extreme and they're also disenfranchising themselves to an extent.
5: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
4: um mm. so there's like some global things at play there's domestic things at play um but yeah the the whole like trad wife thing is it's short trad for traditional wife.
0: wife. yeah I kind of got that um yeah wow. um
4: so there's like more and I'm really fascinated by this kind of thing and like um so we're not some like citadel that's protected from all of this
0: mm-hmm. it's I, very I- much i I, I don't know you. if that
4: also if that's like a rambling non-answer to your question
0: no i don't think i mean look there maybe there's no answer maybe 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 the the answer is in the discussion right like for me uh, and i uh, understand as, as a cisgendered white man even broaching this discussion um i could be uh accused of wanting to you know reduce the effectiveness of, of or the presence of women in elected office and i the only no. thing i can say to that is i have worked to get women elected um and yeah i'm the... i'm
4: not um i mean i'm not a cancel culture person mm. so i think that um you know, there, there is a people sometimes are, especially on the internet, but just in general are really quick, quick to sometimes say like, you know, this group of people or these people shouldn't be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't agree with that.
0: Yeah. I think I come, I come from that. And I think there's, there's an interesting juxtaposition there. I think a little bit with, and by the way, I don't want to discount the concerns about a mantle because I think, you know, it. it you, you you it it's important to have representation and ensure that women's voices are being heard women are half of the population for crying out loud and they do so much of the unaccounted for labor in our society that is And anyone who does a little bit of feminist reading and work can understand. You don't need to read Judith Butler to know. Well, but also, like, to
4: take it to you know, to modern, current day politics in Canada. Like, Mm. do I don't do you have um do you have little people children in your life? I
0: don't have little people. I don't, and I might. That's fair. What we may be one of those couples that doesn't.
4: That's great. I don't think that having children is the a barometer of happiness or success in life.
0: Thank you for saying that.
4: It is a personal decision and different strokes for different folks. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, but I can say, I mean, I share, I I can share that I do. I have two Mm -hmm. kids. One is about to turn five, two boys. One is about to turn five and one who's um, six and a half. Mm -hmm. And before, when I was blissfully living like my single life thinking like, why am I subsidizing that family, you know, with my hard earned you know, tax dollars, blah, 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 blah. You know, like I'm an island. Why don't I get more, 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 me, me, me. Um, You know, going to work every day with with moms and dads, not understanding that they were showing up to work, literally having already put in a fucking days of work because yeah, they yeah. have to deal with their children, the little angels that they are. <laughs> and um, it was like, after I had kids that I started, you know, it was like experiences like, pushing a stroller Mm -hmm. in the snow, realizing how difficult that is, how to try, like, why sidewalks aren't shoveled and how that can be a barrier. And then thinking, you know, I'm trying to push a stroller. What if someone was in like what would this be like if i was in a wheelchair for what is this like for someone in a wheelchair or with any kind of accessibility issue or i really want to go into this coffee shop but for some reason um it's a step and there's no ramp right, right? and right. it's really hard to lift this beast of a stroller into this coffee shop i'm going to go somewhere else mm-hmm. or um you know i drop my kids off they need to be at school by 8:30 in the morning and Pick up time, um, you need to be like there, ideally by 310. Well, who finishes work at 310 in the day?
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Nothing no. in our lives
0: Nobody does.
4: <laughs> related to kids. I mean, it's a dream. Nothing in our lives related to kids is designed to have two working parents. Yeah. It is true. designed to have one working parent, which would be a man, mm-hmm. and someone at home to do all of these things. Because, like, you can't get a doctor's appointment at 6 o'clock at night, let alone a doctor's appointment these days. Yeah. Like, all of these things happen. um, And it's very difficult to have two full-time working parents of any gender um, raise kids well without needing, like, aftercare, before Mm -hmm. care, family to help, like, all of these different things. And so, like, for example... Canada now has like a national childcare kind of plan, right? It's been implemented in different ways in provinces Mm -hmm. for $10 Mm -hmm. a day daycare. If we had, if like the status quo had existed and we still hadn't seen, you know, an overwhelming change of, of women in politics, would we have seen a program like this roll out?
0: It's a great question. Mm -hmm. Probably not.
4: Well, and especially But it's hard to know, but
0: I would, I would hazard to guess probably not.
4: Right, right, exactly. I don't think so either. Um, and the way that we talk about funding decisions, so you know, people are like, "Let's build a new bridge," and everyone's like, "Yes, that's amazing. I want a new bridge," and it's going to be like, and then they're like, "Okay, and this is going to cost three billion dollars," and people are like, "Great, how fast is it going to be done?" Mm-hmm. And then if you talk about programs like childcare, which also cost billions of dollars, and people are like, "Not my tax money," mm-hmm. because Women, investment in families is is looked on as like um, social funding, right, as kind of secondary in the economy, whereas, um, you know, bridges are like infrastructure. Women and families um, are also, you're building infrastructure in your community, Mm -hmm. in your province, and in your country, Mm -hmm. And we need to shift the way we think about funding in these areas. It's not a nice to have. It's a must do. It's a
0: must. Absolutely.
4: Even if you don't have kids, because literally if the, if everyone just stopped having kids, like, I don't, you know, not to be a downer, but like, what would happen to the world?
0: Well, yeah. (laughs) Like, right. So like
4: people, we need to keep on, you know so we talk a really good game generally about like the next generation and blah, 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 blah.
0: Mm-hmm. But like,
4: what are we actually doing to fund it?
0: It's interesting. Are we building
4: like pristine schools? Are mm-hmm. we building playgrounds? Are we investing in child mental health coming mm-hmm. out of the pandemic? Like, mm-hmm. no, we're not. Um, and I think there needs to be a reshift, a realignment of how we spend public dollars to focus on kids um, and families, um, and just just people in general.
0: It, it reminded me of when I when I was running for school board here um, as a 34 year old without kids. People would ask me, "Do you have kids?" And I would say, "No, I'm probably one of the only people running for trustee who doesn't." And they would say, well, "Why are you running? Why do you care? Why 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 are you running if you don't have kids? Why would we vote for you if you don't have kids?" I say, "Because I understand that our future <laughs> depends on well educated, well supported." uh kids and adults who have a solid grounding in a good public education like it it it, it's weird that people can kind of look at that and not really anticipate that that might be something that someone without a kid can can understand um well
4: i think you're also the product of a system and you can also right. like i'm also a product of the bc public school system and i can you know even if i didn't have kids and i wanted to run for trustee as someone who goes through that you under, you know you can also be like i want to run to change this right not well, because i have kids but because i think it could be done differently or better or you know
0: and one of one of the things i did tell people is of everyone who's running i'm the closest to remembering what it was like
4: exactly that's like very valid as well yeah. right
0: um just as we're we're getting close to the end, I can't believe how fast time goes. You asked me um kind of near the front end where I was politically. I'm wondering about where you're at, or if that's a place that you feel comfortable uh. I thought I had indulging. escaped that. No. <laughs>
4: um,
0: and you don't you don't don't feel forced to say no, totally no, it's fine.
4: okay. Um, so I am in a similar ish place to you, but the the wording that I use to describe it as is. I am currently having a political existential
0: crisis. Yeah, I've used that actually, Not maybe not in that, but I think I've said existential crisis, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
4: Um, because I would say that, and it's specifically because of something that's not happening domestically, it's actually happening overseas and that is um, the war between Israel and Hamas.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and as a feminist, and um, as the wife of um, an immigrant from Iran, and mm. as a dual citizen of Iran myself, actually, wow. Um, I've been so when we got married in, in 2014, um, I became a dual citizen. Um, and I'm I'm actually very proud. I'm I don't say it with any shame, but I I do say it with like there's a, there are a lot of caveats. I'm very mm. proud. Mm-hmm. Um, that my husband is from Iran. Our children are also dual citizens. That I'm a dual citizen of Iran. That's awesome. Um, but there's obviously um, I'm I'm proud because of the people, because mm-hmm. of the rich culture, because of the history. Um, it's not because of you know the regime. Of course, there are. It's it's much more nuanced than that. So of course, my existential crisis is related to the fact that as a feminist, as a woman um you know as a dual citizen of iran um you know it wasn't that long ago that people were in the streets supporting the women of iran Mm -hmm. chanting women life, freedom
5: Mm
4: -hmm. um and now they're in the streets taking the side of um not the women of iran but of the regime of the iranian government yeah and it's been progressives primarily like overwhelmingly not um and 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 feminists and it's been it's been really hard to reconcile all of this and um you know uh you know the, the federal liberals have really wavered on like they don't know you know on a Tuesday they're like saying something and then on a Wednesday they're saying something else um so I mean the conservatives are really consistent not only on Israel support for Israel um and condemning the attacks on October seventh. Um, but also, you know, in calling out Iran in different ways, which I don't always agree with, but, um, mm. uh, you know, it it's, it's, there's a lot to unpack and, um, and then provincially, it's like a very difficult sometimes thing because coming from BC, having worked as a political staffer, um, up until 2012, when I left for the BC liberals, now the BC United, like I had a very clear political home and if I ever moved home to, to BC, um, you know, that's where at least in its present form, you know, that's where <laughs> I would be comfortable again. Yeah. That being said, I have a lot of like, um, friends and, you know, there are a lot of great people in the BC NDP, um, mm-hmm. that I personally mm-hmm. admire and and really respect their politics. It's yep. just, um, I don't necessarily think that there's a space for me there. Um, which is to say the same of the Alberta NDP
5: mm-hmm.
4: um, because I am not ideologically in line enough with the Alberta NDP. Um, but in the last election here in Alberta in 2023, um, between the UCP and the NDP, I did vote NDP for the very first time in my life. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, at any level. Yeah. Um, and I can't say that that will necessarily happen again because mm-hmm. the Alberta NDP is currently going through a leadership race to replace Rachel Notley. I saw Sarah Hoffman so I'm not announced sure the other day. Yeah. Like. So, um, and it was actually Danielle Smith's comments um, that came out that said um, that if you, she had said, if you were, the vaccinated would have been followers of Hitler. Just put me over the edge. Yeah.
5: Um.
4: And so yeah, I, I made an I I publicly endorse the NAB. Mm, wow.
5: Um,
4: but you know, there are a lot of great people in the UCP. Um, I have a lot of friends in the UCP. Mm-hmm. It's just um, but now even in the last couple of weeks with the announcements on pronouns and gender and um all of this kind of stuff, um, I am too socially progressive. Um, or I am, I'm very socially progressive Mm -hmm. and it's not that I don't think that the UCP conservative parties are actually great at being big tents, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, better actually than progressive parties in my opinion. I'm
0: coming to see that myself with my own kind of, uh, uh, all of branches to some conservative party folks here in BC and federally. It's been very interesting to see that because it's not something I was raised thinking
4: yeah no they're like generally speaking it's like kind of well i mean at least the conservatism you know that i love and appreciate is live and let live Mm -hmm. that being said there's nothing live and let live about the policies announced by danielle smith um it's like they're actually i don't believe that you know politics or politicians have a place in the homes or bedrooms of, you know, of their constituents and they are, the UCP is inserting themselves in a way that, you know, instead of, I mean, and the irony, the hypocrisy is that, you know, Danielle Smith is a huge proponent of like, you know, she was on the side of anti-vaxxers, of, Mm. um, um hydrochloroquine like all of these different things right Mm -hmm. and it was personal choice personal choice my body my choice Mm -hmm. was co-opted by anti-vaxxers during the pandemic it was and now it's these same people are saying your body my choice (laughs) yeah in a in a way that goes far beyond a government simply um introducing a vaccine passport
5: Mm -hmm.
4: right or saying certain public publicly funded and regulated professions, you know, we want you to get a vaccine because of the vulnerable populations that you're working with. Now they're saying, you know, I know best for you and your family because you can't have those conversations with your kid and make informed decisions with a medical professional. It's just insane.
0: Hmm. Well, I, 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 I would love to talk more about this because I my opinion on this, uh, and by the way, I, I, just before I forget, y- your comment on Israel um, and what's happening there has been a significant reason for my my shift because I, I am a Christian Zionist who was once, and I've said this publicly and I'm happy to, I was once anti-Semitic and I was anti-Semitic, I think because the NDP really kind of inculcated that in me um, as someone who was quite deeply involved in the party. And due to some very good close personal Jewish colleagues who I think saw something in me worth exploring and trying to shift and change, it took time. Um, but uh, I'm now quite proudly a Christian Zionist and uh, very proudly in support of Israel and the Jewish community here. So I, I appreciate that there's a similar kind of push or pull, whatever you would want to label that as. That that's kind well, of well. I
4: causing. mean, I mean, I'm rather I'm an outlier. I've always mm-hmm. been. Um... I've always been supportive of Israel and mm-hmm. I would all have I will all, I just I am a Zionist mm-hmm. um and I have been for a very long time mm-hmm. um very long time like going back into my teens actually mm-hmm. um but you know it, there's it's it's an it's an uncomfortable well I mean and if it's uncomfortable for me as a non Jewish person mm-hmm. to be supportive of Israel the same for you you know how difficult is it for Jewish people To, you know, to express their, you know, their, their, their feelings and thoughts on this issue. And, you know, so I have some, I have some privilege in being protected from that. Um, and, um, but it's a really, it's a high stakes game, not just in terms of, you know, the incredible loss of life, not only on the Israeli side, but on the, you know, on the Palestinian side as well. There are a lot Mm. of innocent people that are being killed that shouldn't be, um, But, you know, anti-Semitism is is unfortunately always present in our society Mm -hmm. and we're seeing it, you know, not only on the surface, but like, you know, it being championed right now. And I find that really alarming.
0: Especially on the left, which is... Shocking. Yeah,
4: it is, because it's not just people, um, you know, chanting, you know, like, um, things about Infantata, but, mm. you know, about, like, Zionism, when, you know, they use Zionist as a way of not saying Jew, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, To try and, like, get you to think that they're somehow not being anti-Semitic, um, but also, you know, being, like, go Houthis, like, oh my gosh.
0: Oh my, oh my gosh. You know,
4: yeah. like... <laughs> you know, or people talking about, uh, there was like a thing, uh, you know, maybe a couple of months ago now where people, someone, some, a woman on, on TikTok was like, yeah, I read this letter that Bin Laden wrote and oh my gosh, you guys like, oh my, I'm just seeing this with new eyes. And you're like, what the fuck, <laughs> Becky? Um, like, you know,
0: no.
4: <laughs> come on now. Like, it, we're losing you.
0: We're, we're losing, like, we've lost, like, we've lost them. Well, no, um, no,
4: I still want to have hope that we can, like, you know, continue to have reasonable conversations and thoughtful ones about, yeah. you know, people, Um, but, yeah, it, it's a difficult place, and I think how this will roll out, not just, like, you know, the conversations that you and I are having individually or the one right now, but also how this is going to play into the American election that's happening this November and on the role that it will have right in progressive politics and i see people who are like um you know i voted biden biden before but because of his position on israel i'm just like not going to vote or whatever um and it's like uh, do you do you know who's like running against him likely like the person do you remember 2016 to 2020 do you remember the muslim ban because i do yeah i actually had a friend who um had been offered a job at a major american like the biggest technology place in the states um who was originally from iran on the very day um that the muslim ban was brought in she didn't get to go like have you ever met someone who has been impacted like it's just you know, so it's really easy to make flippant comments about all of this and be like, oh, I'm abandoned. Actually, like, do you understand how you and so many others will be abandoned with a Trump presidency? Yeah. Like, there's a lot at stake. But anyways, I digress. I'm the (laughs) one who said that I only have 45 minutes for this.
0: (laughs) I didn't want to interrupt because you're in a really good flow. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any final thoughts?
4: Um, vote in every election is always, I always ask people to vote. Um, and then also my like big call to action is always, um, don't wait until something impacts you personally to give a shit about it. We need to care more about things that are happening in the world, even if they seem far away or removed from us, even at the local level. Um, so, you know, when you watch the news and you see someone's family, in a really difficult position like obviously your heart your sympathies are with them mm. um and you know we tend to think about like oh you know like what if that was me like but take that one step further and do something about it right and also in the context of um you know the the protests that are happening here in Alberta against Um, the recently introduced gender and diversity policies by Danielle Smith, like Mm -hmm. go to a protest, Mm -hmm. go to a protest, make a sign, make the best sign you've ever made before, Mm -hmm. but then tell me what you're going to do after that protest is over because your advocacy and action cannot simply end at turning up at a protest, write your MLA, send an email to the prime minister, um, Join a political party. Mm -hmm. Do something beyond that because protests are great, but just don't let your actions be performative. And I know that people can have a hard time thinking like, I'm not performative. I'm, you know, you're turning up and spending your time doing that. there's, for every time you show up, there's someone on the counter side of this who's showing up 10 times more often. Yep progressives, wherever you fall into that spectrum out of the ultra, like I'm putting like the ultra right on one end Mm, and then mm. everyone else. (laughs) We have to manage the demands on our time. The, you know, the desire to make our kids home cooked meals, rather than going through the drive through hockey practices, swim practices, you know, like just not losing our minds as, as people in this world, we have to find the time to show up.
0: Sarah Elder Chaminara. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Ha I listened to Ryan Jesperson's podcast just before here so I could get it right. (laughs) Sarah, thank you for your time. I hope we can do this again. I feel like you and I can talk for hours more. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. I love doing these for you and I hope you love listening to them and the interviews as much as I love doing them. The question for today is this, what one thing can you do to advance the cause of feminism and equity? If you're on Spotify, you can go through your app and you can answer the question directly. I'd love to hear from you. Please also feel free to drop a five-star review on Spotify and on Apple podcasts. If you're listening over on Apple podcasts, my website is also available ryanpainter.ca and you can go over there and see all the other things that I'm doing including my work as a governance consultant and as a public speaker speaking on my own experiences with mental health, suicidality, and my own journey and how I've navigated through life over the last 40 years. There's a lot of information that I know I can impart as a public speaker. So if you'd like to invite me to speak, I'd be happy to talk about your audience and how I can tailor my message to you. As always, please be kind to yourself. Be kind to others and find a little bit of goodness if you can in your day. All the best and we'll see you next time.